0: Welcome to Season 3 of the Cornerstone Bible Church Women's Bible Study Podcast, "Beatitudes: The Beauty of Blessing. I'm Heather Hitzeroth, and this is Episode 8. Today we'll take a look at the final beatitude from Matthew 5 and talk about the blessing for being persecuted for righteousness. We're going to see that Jesus tells us to rejoice when we are persecuted for His name, and we are going to look at what kind of persecution the Bible tells us to expect when we follow Jesus. Let's look at these verses now together. Matthew 5, 10-12 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Dear Father, Thank you for the encouragement that you have given us through Scripture. We are grateful that you have promised you always are with us, and we take comfort in the peace and protection that you provide. Turn our hearts' affections more and more towards you this week, and help us to demonstrate your character to the people that we interact with, amen. Well, here we are now in our last and final week of this lovely study of the Beatitudes. And through this study, we've learned that as citizens of God's kingdom, we recognize our need for a Savior. We acknowledge our dependency on our Father. We humbly set aside our own will to do what God wants us to do. We desire to obey and live in the holy way that God created us to live. We reach out to others and show them the tenderness and mercy we ourselves have been shown. We seek purity and we are proactive in making peace with others. And what we'll continue to see this week is that living this righteous way that God created us to live will bring us persecution. And you may have noticed that this beatitude is structured a bit different than the last seven. First off, this beatitude is less of a pattern of the heart as it is a result of having the heart patterns that Jesus has been teaching us about. It starts off sounding very similar in structure to the previous seven, and the blessing, in fact, is the same blessing we saw in the first beatitude. And if you remember from our first week, I pointed out that that phrase, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, being repeated in both the first and last beatitude is supposed to alert us to a beginning and end or a frame around the picture of what kingdom living should look like. But after this frame, signifying the end of this little introduction to what the hearts of those who follow Jesus look like, Jesus tags on a little more elaboration upon this particular beatitude. And for good reason. Persecution is something we are told numerous places in the Bible will happen to those who love and follow Jesus. It's not just a possibility. It's a fact. We are to expect it. When we follow Jesus, we will be persecuted. And so I think because of this, Jesus wants to give us uh, like a little extra encouragement. It's the only beatitude that Jesus spends a little more time explaining. And it's also the only beatitude in which we see a double blessing. With the world we live in striving for health and wealth and prosperity and, in general, trying to avoid suffering, Expecting and rejoicing in suffering for Jesus' name would not be what we would automatically think of as something to be thankful for. So let's see if we can figure out why Jesus tells us to take joy in being persecuted. Let's start by specifying what kind of persecution we are talking about. God calls us to be salt and light very shortly after this last beatitude, in fact, and that in the midst of and despite the way the world lives, we are to live differently. Why? Well, one of the purposes is that so we will stand out, that we will draw others to God by the examples we are setting of what a citizen of God's kingdom looks like. People can and will be persuaded by this to respond to God seeking their hearts. But we also know that many people will observe us, maybe even feel convicted, and instead of responding in repentance, they will lash out at us. They'll mistreat us or deride us for being like Jesus. The whole Bible shows us that living for God's righteousness will not always bring us a reward in this life. Persecution comes to those who are faithful to God. We see this all the way in the beginning of Genesis when Cain killed Abel for doing what was right in faithfulness to God. The story of Daniel comes to mind as well. Daniel chose obedience to and worship of God, knowing it would bring persecution. When we look at the stories of all the prophets in the Old Testament, whose purpose it was to preach repentance and righteousness, a pattern becomes very clear. The job of prophet was not a desired one. When God called Moses, Jeremiah, and Jonah, just to name a few, they were all very hesitant to embrace this assignment because they knew they would be mistreated for relaying God's message of holiness to people that didn't want to obey. But God tells them not to be afraid, and we see that He is faithful to to them in upholding them through the suffering that allegiance to righteousness brought. So already, before we've even looked very closely at persecution, we can take comfort and encouragement knowing that, like Jesus says at the end of this beatitude, we aren't alone when we encounter this. Many have been persecuted for Jesus' sake before us, and many after us will also. We could almost just think of persecution as a proof of our belonging to Jesus. In America, persecution for being Christ followers doesn't quite look the same as, let's say, a person in some other country where being a Christian and following Jesus can bring immediate death or imprisonment. The kind of persecution we will probably face the most here is scorn and mockery. I know I've experienced that kind of persecution the most in my years as a believer. When I was in college, I took a world religions class, and one day the professor told us that we could get extra credit if we made a short presentation about a religion we personally practiced. And as a Christian, I felt as though God was handing me this opportunity. I got to present the gospel to a class of 25 college students and they had to listen. I couldn't turn it down. (laughs) When the day came to present, we heard from a Hindu, a Buddhist, and a Muslim. And then when it was my turn, I stood before the class and began to speak. But a funny thing happened. As soon as I mentioned the name of Jesus, a student a few rows back interrupted and said, hey, she's not allowed to talk about Jesus here. I hesitated and I looked to the professor. And he nodded to me to prod me to keep going and ignore the interruption so i did but this same guy became more agitated and again loudly said it's not fair for her to talk about jesus she can't do that here on campus this is a public university and very soon more students joined in the verbal protest in agreement with the first person and the room became full of tension and discord and students started hurling insults my way and telling me to sit down and the professor eventually asked me to sit down too without finishing well needless to say i'm sure my face was burning red with embarrassment at being mocked by what felt like the entire class And while the professor did end up giving me full credit for the assignment that I never did get to do, I most definitely felt persecuted for Jesus' name. But what did it cost me? Practically nothing except for my pride. Well, shortly after this incident, I had the privilege to go on a short-term missions trip to Japan to work with college students there. And I just loved getting to know the faithful believers in the local church there. And there was one young man in particular— That was a real blessing to my faith. His heart had been captured by Jesus a few years earlier, and immediately following his conversion, he shared the good gospel news with his family. The response was not good. His family disowned him and shunned him. His employer found out that he was a Jesus follower and fired him. He literally lost everything for the name of Jesus. And while this was heartbreaking, my friend was joyful. He said he now had a new family in the church, and this family had encouraged him through the rough times, provided for his needs when he had nothing left, and worked to serve alongside him in the community. It made me think of the verse in Matthew 19, 29, when Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That is a different kind of persecution than the persecution I had experienced in my college class. But while they are different, both are kinds of persecution the Bible tells us to expect in response to following King Jesus, and both are rewarded and blessed. Now, I think I do need to just point out quickly that the Bible also tells us about things that we should not be persecuted for. We are not blessed for suffering because we are offensive, sinful, divisive, or arrogant. In other words, being persecuted for being the opposite of a peacemaker or for not being meek is not becoming of a believer. And I'm afraid that there are some Christians nowadays who might equate ill-treatment on the account of being obstinately troublesome or prideful with suffering for the name of Christ. And the Bible is clear that this type of persecution does not honor God and does not represent the kingdom of God to the world accurately. Let me give you an example. First Peter is a book that talks a lot about suffering for righteousness and for Jesus' name. At various points in the book, Peter tells us that it's better to suffer for doing good according to God's will than to suffer for the sake of evil or sin. He asks, how does that further God's kingdom at all to suffer for sin? Peter then echoes Jesus' teaching about persecution in chapter 4. He's, he says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But in the following verse, he makes sure to add the qualifier that if you are to suffer persecution, make sure it is not for sin. And one of the sins he mentions is being an annoying meddler. So even being someone who stirs up strife under the banner of Jesus' name might completely miss the mark of what represents Jesus well and be drawing unbelievers away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffer and endure for good, for doing good, and for representing Jesus well, and through it rejoice because those trials result in glory and honor from Jesus. So what specifics can you think of that we see in the Bible describing on what account our persecution might be glorifying and honoring to the Lord? I'm going to give you a few. In the parable of the soils, Matthew 13:21 talks about persecution on the account of the word. 2 Timothy 3:12 talks about suffering for living a godly life. And Galatians 6:12 mentions persecution for the cross of Christ. Do you see what this shapes up to look like? There is no ambiguity about what kind of persecution honors God. It all directly correlates to Jesus, His name, the good news of the gospel, and living in obedience to His word. Any persecution we endure should be related to who we are in Christ because we represent the name of Christ and because we live and believe in the values and righteousness He created us for. So then how does the Bible say we should respond when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness? While Jesus says to rejoice and the previous Beatitudes actually give us a great model to follow when we are being persecuted, we respond meekly because we trust God will vindicate us if not now in the future. We respond mercifully, giving unmerited favor to our enemies. And we should respond as a peacemaker. We don't try to stir up trouble and we work to simultaneously stand up for righteousness in Jesus' name while promoting unity. So now let's look at the examples that Jesus gave us in his life of suffering persecution in the manner that God desires of us. In every instance, whether it was mockery, rejection, or violence, we can clearly see that Jesus trusted his outcome to God the Father. We have an example of Jesus facing doubt and rejection from his own family in Mark 3 and Mark 6, which I would imagine must have been extremely heartbreaking for him. And while we don't have all the details as to what this entailed, we do know that whatever part of his message they disagreed with caused them to try to restrain him, silence him, and even say that he was out of his mind. In John 7, we read about a time when some of Jesus' brothers seemed to misunderstand what his ministry was actually about— and they make some mocking remarks about how he should be doing ministry. It goes so far to say that his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus didn't give in to their mockery and instead calmly responded that his time had not yet come. He was waiting on God's timing to be vindicated. The other example I'll give, of course, was when we look at his arrest and his interactions with his accusers and even his death. We see his response right before his death was to ask God to forgive those who were punishing him unjustly and without merit. Peter tells us in his first epistle to look to Christ as the example of how we should respond when unjustly persecuted for righteousness. Listen, 1 Peter two twenty one 21-23 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So the takeaway from the model that we see of Jesus in persecution, entrust yourself to your sovereign heavenly father who is the ultimate judge and fulfills ultimate justice. So now, let's finish by looking at the blessings that come when we live out this beatitude. Jesus not only reminds us that being persecuted for His namesake and His righteousness gives us the blessing of a heavenly inheritance, but He tells us that our reward in heaven will be great. We look forward to when in heaven we stand before God and hear Him tell us we have fought the good fight in demonstrating our faithfulness to Him. And hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant, come enter in to joy and rest. When believers suffer, we can be confident that that suffering will always be accomplishing something good, shaping our character to be more like Christ and orienting our hearts more toward heaven. Persecution will happen, but we can take comfort in the truth that none of it escapes God's eye. Listen to this quote by author Tim Chalice about the earthly trials we will experience because of our identity in Christ. He says, As we make our pilgrimage from our many cities of destruction to our one great home in heaven, we endure much pain and much grief. The path is strewn with thorns and the winds sometimes blow strong and cold. The road is narrow and perilous, often rough underfoot and steeply inclined. But if we are in Christ, We have the the assurance that none of the struggles along the way are meaningless, that none of the trials are wasted, and none of them unseen by God. So friends, let's obey and choose joy through any pain we may face between now and our eternal home going as ambassadors for Christ, delighting in the fact that Jesus has overcome the world and our full reward will be delivered when we are in our heavenly home. So now, because this is our last week, I want to take just a quick minute to just kind of wrap up our eight-week study and draw you to reflect on what we have learned through Jesus' teaching during this time. Remember in the beginning, we said that we can think of the Beatitudes as pieces of stained glass that put together make one big, beautiful portrait of the one who we are to imitate. Well, this chapter in Matthew and the following, until we come to chapter 10, describe how Jesus first teaches his followers what the kingdom looks like, and then immediately after goes out and demonstrates how living that way tangibly looks. And then when we get to Matthew 10, we see that Jesus now turns from telling and then modeling his kingdom attributes to empowering others. Namely, his disciples and those who follow him to live and serve others in the same way. So, I encourage you now that we have taken this look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to finish reading the whole thing on your own and then read on to see how Jesus lived it out perfectly. And then be encouraged as you see how he has empowered you and me with his help and guidance to live out these patterns of the heart too. Thank you for listening today, and I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to study this entire section of Matthew with you throughout the last eight weeks. I pray that God will use the things that we have studied to deeply form your heart to be more like His Son Jesus, and that you will continue to seek relationship and fellowship with Him through study of His Word. This has been fun thank you for letting me be a part of your weekly study. And as always, you can find out more information about this study on our church's website, cbcglindora.org, and in the show notes. Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested and have a great week.